Welcome to Succession Stories, insights for next generation entrepreneurs. I'm Lori Barkman. I've spent my career bringing an entrepreneurial approach to mature companies struggling with change. As an outside executive of a third generation, 120 year old company, I was part of a long-term succession plan. Now I work with entrepreneurs, privately held companies and family businesses to develop innovations that create enterprise value and transition plans to achieve their long-term goals. On this podcast, listen in while I talk with entrepreneurs who are driving innovation and culture change. I speak with owners who successfully transitioned their company and others who experienced disappointment along the way. Guests also include experts in multi-generational businesses and entrepreneurship. If you are a next-generation entrepreneur looking for inspiration to grow and thrive, or an owner who can't figure out the best way to transition their closely held company, this podcast is for you. Subscribe to our newsletter for more resources to build value in your business. Visit small.big.com. That's small.big.com and sign up today. Did you know that unresolved conflict costs organizations about $359 billion in paid hours every year? Bonnie Artman Fox is the author of How Did My Family Get in My Office? She's a workplace conflict resolution expert from her experience as a psychiatric nurse and family therapist. Bonnie understands that the way we handle conflict at work is often a learned behavior that resulted from how our family handled conflict at home. But our past experiences do not have to define our future. Bonnie talks about having the pertinacity to self-reflect, build trust, and move forward. Listen in for insights about resolving workplace conflict by getting your family out of the office. Bonnie Artman Fox, thank you so much for joining me today on Succession Stories. It is an interesting topic. It's a little different than what I normally cover on the show. And you and I talked about that. Like, okay, we're going to talk about conflict in the workplace. We're going to talk about dysfunctional teams. We're going to talk about things that maybe we don't normally talk about in the show. And I think that's really why I've decided to put a spotlight on it. Because at the end of the day, if the teams are not functioning the way that they should be, it's going to hold the company back from achieving its goals, from achieving its vision on the profitability side, on the growth side, and on the happiness scale, there'll be a zero. (laughs) And we don't want that. So Bonnie, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be with you. Why don't we start by you introducing yourself? Well, first of all, thank you, Lori, for this invitation. I love, love, love talking about conflict. I know that sounds crazy. But I truly believe that when teams have the courage to talk about what's really going on in the workplace, that's when all the positive things that you just described can happen in terms of productivity and ultimately bottom line results. So a little bit about me, I started out as actually a psychiatric nurse. I couldn't take the blood and guts of medical nursing. So <laughs> I went into psychiatric nursing and then worked in the addictions field for a while and found that people got better quicker when the family was involved. So I went on to become a licensed marriage and family therapist, had my own practice for several years. And in that setting, found that a lot of folks were coming in of dealing with anxiety, depression, sleepless nights because of dysfunctional workplaces. So over eight years ago, I moved from Illinois to Pennsylvania and shifted my focus from therapy to leadership coaching to help leaders to be more effective in how they lead and especially in how they deal with conflict. 
And you've written a book that we're going to spend some time on today talking about. Maybe you can share a bit about that book and why you wrote it. Yes, thank you. The book is called How Did My Family Get In My Office? And it's a compilation of real life stories of leaders who were willing to share with me in very transparent and vulnerable ways how conflict was handled in their upbringing and how they made the conscious choice to either change their family conflict pattern for the better and how they handle conflict or leverage their family strengths. And the book is written from the perspective, how did their family upbringing in terms of how conflict was handled impact their leadership and how they handle conflict as a leader? And every story is in the leader's words. And then I offer a perspective, what I call the family factor of the connection between how conflict was handled in our upbringing impacts us today. And each of the leaders provide their own productive conflict management strategies of what was helpful for them to change their conflict pattern. Why I wrote it, again, goes back to what I saw as a therapist when folks were coming in dealing with conflict in the workplace. And as we unpacked what was going on, more often than not, there was a connection between their role of how they handled conflict in their upbringing was playing out in the workplace. And as they focused, my clients focused on changing how they responded instead of focusing on other people changing, that's when positive things started to happen. So that was some of the background of the book and also out of my own history of having worked. Are you, a, able, are you open to sharing that? Tell us a little bit about how you grew up and what some of your family dynamics were. Sure. And okay, funny story of how even going back further, I was way back several, several years ago, I was in a work setting that I had actually been recruited for as it was my first leadership position. And this was my first clue that I ignored when I was up front and said, I'm not sure I'm the person for you. I don't have any leadership experience. And they said, oh, Bonnie, you'll be great. You're known as an excellent clinician. And besides, we'll teach you everything you need to know about leadership. We'll groom you. Well, <laughs> you can tell where that probably went and it didn't go well. And I found myself in a work situation where everything that was promised wasn't happening. And I really wanted to excel. I wanted to really do well as a leader. And when I went to the people who had hired me to my boss, there was silence and I wasn't getting any feedback. And that took me back home of, in my family upbringing, we didn't know how to deal with conflict and upset feelings. And I found myself in a therapy office because I, again, I wanted to grow from this experience. I did not want to quit. I wanted to learn. And I go in, I go to the therapist and I tell her why I was there. And she paused and she said, hmm, sounds like your family is in your office. Interesting. And is that when the light bulb went off that there's something thematic here that was important that you felt you could solve as a superpower? Yes. That this is, this is an opportunity for me to grow. And I stayed in that position, focusing on changing me. And again, instead of focusing on changing others, and that's when there was a positive ripple effect of, of change. And I eventually did leave that job having learned what I needed to learn to grow. Yeah. And that's a big premise of the book also of how these leaders 
gain self-awareness of their own opportunities to grow and develop emotional intelligence and made that conscious choice to stick with the, the messiness, the uncomfortableness of handling conflict in a more productive way. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's get into the book and what is the core framework? I know one of the things you talk about in the book is the four R's of resolution. And I thought it might be good for listeners to just sort of hear you talk through what those four are and why they're important. Sure. As I looked at all of the stories, I noticed a theme of what each of the leaders did well. And it was the word pertinacity. It's a real word. Pertinacity? Is that a word? It is a word in the dictionary. Is it like turducken? It's kind of a weird combo. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. It's the combination of persistence and tenacity. And it means sticking with what's difficult. And in the dictionary, it describes it's a combination of courage, conviction, and a little bit of stubbornness. I like Isn't it. Isn't that great? I like it. Yes. And that's what each of these leaders did. They stuck with the difficulty of the messiness and the uncomfortableness of working through conflict effectively and productively. But that's such an important start because there are how many, I guess you probably have seen data out there, how many people just avoid it outright to start? Absolutely. Maybe not 80, 90%. Or how high is that? Is our conflict avoidance an inherent trait that most of us have, or are we just all wired all over the place? We're all wired differently. We are wired differently. There was one study actually done that showed that 54% of employees believe leaders don't intervene early enough when conflict happens. And understandably, there are times when we say to ourselves, well, it'll just work out on its own or give it time, or it's just a personality difference. And yet if the leader isn't actively addressing the problem, then then there's another word that I incorporated into the book. There's a mojita in the mojita? office. Mojita? What's yes. that? It sounds like a, an alcoholic beverage you want yeah. to enjoy on the beach. <laughs> it is not a drink. It, again, is an actual word. And it's a word from one of the tribes in Papua New Guinea that means the truth we know about and agree not to speak of. And in our English language, it's the elephant in the room. Okay, we've heard that phrase. Yes, yes. Again, I think I've even used that phrase. <laughs> yes, but I think we all have, sure. And that happens to all of us, whether it's in our families or in our workplace. And it, like you said, it is uncomfortable to deal with conflict. And yet the beautiful thing is when we make that conscious choice to enter the danger zone and again, that messiness of taking the risk of speaking up, that's when teams get closer, that they talk about what's really going on in order to get to the root of the problem and work towards resolution. So you mentioned, you asked, what are the four R's? Again, I was looking at what did each of these leaders do that helped them to have the personacity? And I came up with these four R's and the first R is called regard the scar. And this is where each of the leaders were willing to look back at their family upbringing not to blame, shame, or finger point, or throw anybody under the bus. That is was not at all the purpose or premise of the book. It was simply to look back to understand of how conflict was handled in their upbringing, and even going back a generation of how conflict was handled in their parents' upbringing that helped to give them perspective and to attend to those wounds and those scars. Because I find that 
when we have an extreme reaction during conflict, again, whether it's in the workplace, in a team meeting, with a coworker, when we're triggered and we have that fight or flight response, more often than not, there's something inside of us that's getting triggered. And that's what I call the scars. And when we do the self-reflection to recognize, okay, what's at stake here? What's, what's this all about? It often stems to our family upbringing. And as we gain self-awareness of what that something is, that's when positive change can happen. That we go on to the next R, which is reframe to stop blame. That, okay, we recognize this is what happened in our upbringing and it isn't to blame or to be a victim. It's taking responsibility of, and in a context of understanding, our parents did the best they could with what they knew at the time or whoever raised us. And it's choosing what is our mindset going to be of going forward. So those first two R's really have to do with our internal work of how we want to show up and managing our reactivity. The third R, now we're reaching over into respect and connect. That as we interact with people in the workplace, whether it's our employees or coworkers, and even if they're, they're people that we don't necessarily like, we extend the hand of connection out of respect so that we interact with them instead of react in order to be productive, to get work done and to, to work well together towards the mission of the organization. And the fourth R is resolve to evolve. And this is where we choose, regardless of what other people do or don't do, especially during conflict, choosing to be the author of our success, choosing to show up as our very best. Thank you for going through those. Is the toughest part just starting and realizing the self-awareness part, that's a tough part, sort of showing up, looking in the mirror. It must be even harder for teams to do. Do you find that this is an exploration that's best done one-on-one or are you seeing it working effectively with your process in a team setting? I have seen, as a leadership coach, I have seen it worked well, both individually and as a team. And one of the services that I offer are team assessments and where a team assesses how healthy are they in terms of how they get along and willingness to be vulnerable with each other and to talk about the real issues and to send, have that sense of, okay, I can be vulnerable with you and what I share with you isn't going to be used against me. And in fact, it's even going to strengthen our bond and our team cohesiveness to climb that hill with each other and even have messy conversations and maybe even have heated conversations. And it's not out of, of finger pointing or blame. It's out of, we both want what's best for this team, for this organization. And so we're going to, we're going to have our say. And at the end of the day, we're all going to be committed to reaching our goals for, to make, to further the organizational mission. Yeah. I think I read in your information that the problem is actually a fairly big problem just to kind of take a a step up to 50,000 foot again of kind of why do we care? This is a productivity issue at companies. I think globally, your number was maybe, I don't know if it's just the US number, like $359 billion. 
Was that an annual number or is that a cumulative number over time? An annual number of unresolved conflict is costing us in the organizations. Yeah. It's, and is that measured? They were measuring that through turnover. They were measuring that through, I guess, time spent resolving workplace issues. It probably is maybe even cost of lawsuits if there's all yeah. kinds of, you know, could lead to harassment or other problems. So, yeah, so that's the big picture that, and I think on an acute level, every manager, you know, for me as a manager over 20 plus years, I mean, I certainly can think about times when we had to deal with conflict and how to resolve it. Are you finding that CEOs or, or leadership teams are coming to you or looking for your book when they're really in the heat of this problem? Or are they starting to sort of get a vibe? At what point is it too late even? You know, I remember reading, I think it was, you know, the newspapers, you know, used to be a column called, can this marriage be saved? And it's sort of like the marriage therapist saying, oh, well, yes, no, or it's too late or whatever. Is it too late? At what point have they missed the boat to, to repair? And is repair in these teams and building trust always possible? Well, I'm a hopeful person and I always believe the best and want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I look at conflict as that when people are highly guarded, they're really scared. And deep down inside, they genuinely don't know what to do. And there's this self-protection that comes across, can come across in an abrasive way. And uh, so, yes, I believe that I believe in possibilities and it takes a humility. It takes a willingness to be willing and to be responsible for how we show up. Yeah. And it probably takes also, you know, if it's a family, they're already committed to each other. There's the most intense equity ever, right? You're, you're related by blood. And in a family business that takes it to the next level, you're related by blood and you're in business together. But in an independent setting where you're an employee, right? You're part of this team, but your choice is at will. And likewise, your employer's choice is at will. So do you find that commitment is part of this, that we're committed to making this work better? We're committed to turning around our corporate culture. That was one of the things that I worked on quite a bit with one of the teams that I had was we had looked at the Patrick Lencioni book, The Five Dysfunctions of a mm-hmm. Team. We had gone through some of the methodologies there and we did found it effective. We had started to really rebuild trust. We had turned around the culture and measured that through engagement surveys over time. So it, it definitely took time. So for me as a leader, I can, I can relate to this. What I'm trying to understand, and maybe you can share a few stories or examples of experiences either through your interviews or for clients that you work with directly. What is a typical scenario of where a leader is saying, yeah, I feel I'm feeling something here. And then they brought you in or used your process and the outcome was a positive one. Actually, I had just had two conversations along these lines in the past week. I often am called when a CEO, business owner, senior leader has a high performing employee uh, who is has expert knowledge and brings in high amounts of revenue for the organization. So they're a top performer. However, they also have behaviors perceived to be abrasive, meaning overly reactive, condescending, micromanager, uh, public humiliation. And the business owner, the CEO, senior leader is caught between, we value them, we wanna keep them here. However, their behavior 
is undermining the kind of culture that we want to, to have and who we want to be. And they may be losing other really good employees because of this leader's behavior. I'm brought in then to work with the person, the leader who is perceived to be abrasive and help them turn around those behaviors. And I do have a specialized coaching program and uh, to help them turn around. And actually one of the leaders in the books, this uh, leader was not one of my clients. Uh, however, she told the story of having been raised in an alcoholic home, her father was an alcoholic and in her words, her mom pretended it wasn't happening. Her role in the family growing up was to fight and to protect everybody else. It wasn't unusual for the cops to come to the house one night because of a drug raid, because of her brothers selling drugs out of the home, there to be yelling, screaming, fighting, and the next morning as if nothing ever happened. Fast forward several years later, she's in a leadership position. She happens to read an article about adult children of alcoholics, and she was intrigued. She went to her company's EAP department and was asking questions about what is this adult children of alcoholics thing, comes to realize she is an alcoholic. She was using alcohol to numb all of the emotional pain, the scars from her upbringing. She fully embraced recovery, got involved with AA and in her own therapy. Again, fast forward a few years later, she's still sober. Now she's up for a promotion, for a leadership promotion. Her boss comes to her and says, we value you. You are great at what you do. However, in order to give you this promotion, we want you to go for leadership development because you've got some rough edges. <laughs> So she goes to the uh, leadership development and she, she was funny. She said to me, you know, Bonnie, I knew there are people like me who needed to learn how to tone down. And then there were other people who needed to learn how to speak up. Right. At one point, the facilitator asked her, tell me about your upbringing. And uh, she did. And her name in the book, uh, fictitious name is June. And June told her. And the facilitator then said something that was life-changing for her. She said, you can stop running now. You're safe. You got out. And that was her turning point when she did not recognize how, even though she was sober and had been working on herself, there was still deep inside of her that reactive tendency that came out in her leadership style. And when she had that self-awareness, that was the turnaround for how she showed up as a leader. And she went on to become a very empathic, empowering leader who has been instrumental in empowering hundreds of employees since then. And this was back in the 90s. So this was way before leadership coaching was more the norm of, of what it is now. But that's the power of having the awareness of how our family upbringing impacts us that can be transformational in how we show up in the workplace and especially in how we handle conflict. Yeah, that's a great story. So she, her leadership style ultimately was transformed. Yes. Where I guess, would you say she was categorized as abrasive? She was sort of maybe trying to protect herself. She had put up an armor and was running from something as opposed to really embracing where she was in her life as a leader. How much time do you think it really takes for people to give this a chance to self-reflect, to go through all the phases, the understanding? And I think in your book, you give 
uh, quite a bit of how-to in a way. You're giving kind of exercises and things that people can think about because not everybody's going to have the luxury and or capability to work with you one-on-one. Certainly they they could and they could reach out to you for that. But let's say they they get the book and they really see themselves in this book. Did you create the book so that people can work through these issues on their own? Yes. There are different scenarios uh, based on, there's one person who's describes himself as a conflict avoider, didn't have any conflict growing up, and then recognized that as a leader, he was limiting his team's potential because he, in his words, abhorred conflict. He hated it and would avoid it at all costs. Uh, so each of the chapters uh, describe different type of responses to be to conflict. Being a voider, one woman described herself as a fixer. Uh, another person described themselves as an over-controller. And at the end of every chapter are self-reflection questions to help the reader to sort through for themselves of how do I see myself in this story? And the feedback that I'm getting from the reviews, most people are saying that they can relate on some level to each of the stories. There's 11 different stories and from different genders, race, ethnicity, and it doesn't matter what our background is, we all have a story. And most of us didn't learn how to handle conflict well. And and the book shows that every leader, every single one of us can conquer conflict by making that conscious choice of addressing it and changing how we respond. Do you think that most people take the next step to get, I don't want to say help because it sounds, you know, I don't know if that's the right word, but to get help, to to be reached out to, or are they the ones that are reaching out? Are they self-selecting in? They realize they have a problem more so, or is someone telling them, like the other example you gave, where the woman was told, hey, we want to promote you, but there's some rough edges here. What do you see more often? In that scenario where the person tends to have the uh, rough edges, the abrasive tendencies, it tends to be their boss who says, we value you, we want you here, we want to offer you this coaching. And going back to your previous questions about how long that process takes, it's actually quite quick. Um, It can be a matter of three to four months when I work with leaders who are perceived to be abrasive to turn around their behavior because of the process that I use. Um, I think that bottom line, it it comes down to the willingness, the willingness to be willing. And and again, to enter that that, um, messiness, the uncomfortable feelings that can arise by looking at those scars from our upbringing. And it doesn't mean, again, to blame, shame, or, or finger point is to recognize this is what happened. This is how I was impacted. What do I want to do with this? So I change the pattern for the next generation because especially in family owned businesses, whether we realize it or not, we pass on generationally those patterns of how we relate to each other. And when I work with, um, as a therapist, I no longer work as a therapist, but when I did, I worked from a family systems perspective. And I always drew the family tree going back at least three generations to look at what were the relational patterns? What were, how did people communicate? How was conflict resolved? How did people handle upset feelings? And the answers were always there. And, And again, the beautiful thing is patterns can be changed. 
Patterns can be changed. The answers are always there. You really just have to do the work of the hard work. That's the, that's the process. Well, I appreciate you sharing all of that. And I think I caught in your book or, or on your website that one of your friends, as you were talking to them about the title of it and how do people recognize when people are showing up in their office? And she said to you, well, how do you get them out? <laughs> yes. I thought that was funny. Because <laughs> yes. that's what it's all about. And, and helping people be okay with who they are in an authentic way, but also recognizing that how they act, how they behave, how they lead affects others, which then affects the bottom line of the company. And at the end of the day, if you're in business, you're running a company, that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to get your team to be as serving the customer as best they can, as developing their products and services as best they can, and working together as, as humans and having a good time. And we don't, we, we have enough stress in our lives. Why bring stress and conflict into the workplace? So I think that's really important. Bonnie, I, I usually ask people if they have a favorite quote. I think I know your answer, but if you don't share the one that I think you're going to share, I'm going to offer it up to the audience. So this will be a good comparison. Do you have a favorite quote that you'd like to share with us? Well, I don't know if it's a quote, but it's the word pertinacity. Uh, I just love that word. And um, actually, I had a plaque made for each of the leaders who were willing to that participated in the book and sent that to them along with um, a little Mokita elephant. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. As, as the reminder to address the Mokitas in the organization. And it does start with the leaders and uh, change is possible. Change is possible. Well, the quote that I saw at the end of your book was from Pablo Picasso. Ah, so I'll, I'll share that okay. with also the coincidence that this quote was also shared when I asked my uh, friends and colleagues on LinkedIn if they had any favorite quotes. And Harry Edelman had also shared this. So I wanted to give him a shout out. It is the same exact quote. And that is, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. And I thought that was a wonderful way to end this episode. Thank you for being yes. here. Thank you for sharing your expertise. If people want to find you online or find your book, what's the best way to do that? My website is bonnieartmanfox.com and my book is available on Amazon. I also have a mini course on my homepage of my website that takes you through four of the stories in the book. Uh, that would be a way for people to recognize or make some connections on how their family shows up in their office and what they can do to get their family out. Well, that's a wonderful resource. Bonnie, thanks again for being here today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Lori. And thank you for what you're doing. This is such valuable information you're sharing with the world. Innovation, transition, growth. Easy to say, but hard to do. If you're an entrepreneur facing these challenges, I get it. I work with businesses from small to big for strategic planning with your team to achieve your vision. Visit smalldotbig.com to schedule a call with me. I'd love to connect with you. Be sure to catch the next Succession Stories episode with more insights for next generation entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening.